that for like an hour straight. Didn't she do a great job with that? There's somebody else I want to talk about for just a minute. I got to put my mask on. Put your mask on. Two of them, good. That's you. Yes. There is uh, someone else I want to thank. Somebody who I think has missed one Sunday since our opening, including being here and virtual, who has done just an amazing job during this time, splicing videos, merging live streams, setting up equipment, putting out fires, last-minute crises, and that's our boy Kevin Crasco in the back. Can y'all give Kevin a hand? Like, he's just... <laughs> Kevin and I, I don't know if he would admit this or not, but Kevin and I have become friends, and uh, I just love him. I think he's great, uh, and uh, he loves you guys by the way he serves you week in and week out, uh, doing a lot of stuff, and he's been great. So let's go, yeah, go back here. So I'll, I'm Joe Davis. For those of you who don't know by now, I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. There's about 50 of you. I was just checking. There's about 50 or 60 of you still watching from home. And so we want you to know we miss you. And we're still going to be doing the live stream. We're not letting that go away. But we look forward to today that we can give you an elbow bump here too. No hugs because those are illegal. Uh, This is week 53. Can you believe it? Of the Gospel of Mark. For those of you who don't know how we preach here. We just pick a book of the Bible, and we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We don't do any topical sermon series. We just want to hear what God's Word has to say for us in order. This is week 53 of the Gospel of Mark, and I've titled this message, Moving Mountains. So have you ever felt like a failure because you pray and you pray, and it seems it just goes unanswered? Or maybe you felt like a failure because... Maybe your faith isn't strong enough somehow. Have you ever been confused? Have you you ever heard this phrase, faith to move mountains? Have you ever heard that? Raise your hand. Wait, what mountains? What does that even mean? Is it allegorical? Is it metaphorical? Is it actual mountains? We don't know, right? I mean, and what about this concept? Have you heard this one? Like, maybe not in this specific word, but like this. If you pray hard enough... You pray often enough, you pray good enough, the right words, the right order, the right accent on amen, it's amen. If you really want the prayers to be heard, amen. You know, just doing everything just right. If you pray just the right way, all things are possible. I mean, some Christians hear these phrases, right, and they think inside they would never admit this out loud, but yeah, that sounds great, but it doesn't work. Just be honest. Some of us have thought that. Look, I've prayed. I can't move a mountain. I worked really hard on one prayer. I remember one time I prayed every day for a month, two or three times a day, and still nothing happened. So how does this faith to move mountains and uh, anything goes type of prayer work? And when Jesus said faith to move this mountain, and, and if you pray knowing you've already received, everything you ask for will be given to you, it just seems like, man, something's missing for me. How does it work? What is he really teaching us about prayer? And how could we actually, wouldn't it be great if we could actually tap into the power of prayer that he's describing. Is it possible, church, that we need a complete overhaul of what we think faith is for and what and how we're supposed to pray? Because clearly, I don't know about you, I've never met anyone that actually moved a physical mountain. I came close once, but no dice. Let's read the passage today from Mark chapter 11, verses 20 to 25. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything else against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your sins for your trespasses. So what we do is we take every passage and we break it up into three sections. The historical section. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And that's the first section. Let's talk about the history today. I want to talk about this question, by what power? And you'll see later on, this is actually the question that Peter and the disciples asked. Remember, the context of today's passage is in the midst of a situation where they have this religious mindset, the first century Jewish people do, and the first century disciples. They have this mindset of their faith is by sight, and we'll hear more about that in the beginning. I want you to see, first of all, religious failure. Frankly, you guys know how I feel about religion. I love saying the word religious failure. I love it. See, last week we learned about Israel's recurring history, right? of turning their temple that was supposed to be a place of worship, a house of prayer for all nations, they turned it into a place of selfish gain and selfish worship, something just for Jews and people that were Gentiles weren't allowed in. What was supposed to be a place of spirituality and religion and connection to Heavenly Dad turned into a conduit of self-seeking, self-centered, self-righteousness. You might ask, well, Over the course of a thousand years, you would think the Jews, what was wrong with Israel? Can't they get their act together and stop screwing up the temple? Come on, what's your problem? Well, the fact is, their temple and their religion was never designed to provide a full connection to Heavenly Dad. Did you know that? Just like the law, the Ten Commandments, God's plan was to use temple worship to reveal man's hopeless pursuit of self-righteousness through religion. That's what he planned. The law, or what we call the Ten Commandments, and the temple were always actually intended to be a lesson about how fruitless it is for us to try to connect with God on our own effort, our own works. We could just walk close enough to Jesus, be godly, listen to just the least amount of rock music possible, then maybe we can connect to God. See, a way to teach this temple and this law, this was a way to teach the Jewish people they could never connect with God on their own. They were always going to need his help. They would need some sort of power that was beyond their own human capabilities, something else to help them connect with Heavenly Dad. That's why all man-made religion does, all it ever does, is do a good job of making you feel guilty, pointing out your sinfulness, while failing to actually provide you the true desperate transformation power that you really want in your life. So that's the first thing about the history the religious failure. I want to talk about what it means to live by sight. For thousands of years, the Jews had this pattern of religious failure, yet it hasn't deterred them or us from trying, right, to be religious. Somehow we keep faith that if we can in some way summon the power to be righteous, we can finally connect with Heavenly Dad. The temple, 
the priesthood, all of Judaism. These were things they could see, things they could feel, things they could have a role in, things they could touch. It was, in fact, a very good religious comfort zone for them because they felt like they had control. And don't be quick to judge. Humans, by our own nature, until the Spirit comes in and transforms us, we naturally want to live by sight. We instinctively gravitate toward things that are of earth, things that we can experience, things that we can understand, things that we can feel. Up to this point, the disciples have also been living by sight as well. Did you know that? I mean, they have been with Jesus, the Messiah, every day. They've seen him do miracles of incredible power over evil. They've seen his deity and his authority and his teaching, his captivating teaching, the scripture says. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen Jesus rescue them when they were on the boat in the storm from certain death by calming the waves, walking on the water. They've seen Jesus heal both Jews and Gentiles. Remember, medicine was not like it is today. There was very few actual cures for anything in the first century. And they've seen Jesus heal Jewish people and Gentiles. They've seen him feed massive crowds with just crumbs of food. I mean, they believe in Jesus. Don't get me wrong. They had faith in him, but it was a faith that was actually built on what they could see, what they could experience, what they could feel. It was based upon their watching and experiencing earthly power and miracles, which Jesus had plenty of. And I want you to see what else happens in the historical part. I've entitled this part, Dead in a Day. Do you remember, if you guys were here last week, it was the day before that Jesus was hungry. He was going to the temple that day to clear it out. And he he needed some breakfast. And they see this, this, this fig tree in the distance, and it had leaves on it, which means the fruit comes first, and the leaves come second on a fig tree. So their thought was, oh, we can go to this tree and get fruit. And he comes up, and there is no fruit on the tree. This beautiful, big, green, leafy fig tree with no fruit. And he cursed the tree, and he said, no one shall ever eat fruit from you from this day forward. That was the day before. And Mark's gospel points out in last week's passage that the disciples heard Jesus say that. They saw it take place. And the scripture points out that they remembered it. Now, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, he wasn't, what is it, hungry, hangry? Like you're hungry and angry. He wasn't hangry. When he cursed the tree, he was doing this as an object lesson. Remember, that was the same day that he went and he threw out all the the money changers and the people selling stuff, all the corruption that was in the court of the Gentiles. He kicked them all out. Because not only was the fig tree fruitless, the temple was also spiritually fruitless. In that it provided no real hope or connection to Heavenly Father. I mean, the temple, it looked like the fig tree, big and beautiful with green leaves, but it was powerless. It was fruitless. It was religion failure. Now, 24 hours later, so he curses the tree. It's just 24 hours later, they pass by the same tree back into Jerusalem. They'd been in the hotel the night before. They went back into the city for more work. 24 hours later, they pass by the same tree healthy the day before, to find it completely withered and brown down to the roots. Understand, fig trees don't die in 24 hours. It can take months to show signs that it's dying. This one is dead to the roots in a day. It's very unusual. It's a miracle. They recognize the dead tree, 
Remember what Jesus said to the tree the day before, and Peter says, look, there's the tree. And Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, actually says they asked the question. In Matthew 21, verse 20, they asked the question. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? How did it happen so fast? Jesus, how did you do that? I mean, we've seen you do all these incredible positive miracles. This is the first negative miracle, the first judgment miracle. By what power, Jesus, did you use to kill this fig tree in 24 hours? See, very soon Jesus is going to be gone. He's going to die on the cross. And the disciples won't be able to live by sight anymore. They're going to have to learn to live by faith. They will need this lesson that he's about to teach. So that's the history. Now we talk about the spirituality of the passage or the theology. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've entitled this section Kingdom Power 101. It's the basics of how to live in the kingdom of God with the power of Jesus. See, Jesus is ready for their question, right? And he's going to give them an incredibly effective crash course on how to tap into his power in faith and prayer. They're going to need it for the job he's called them to do, for the task he's getting ready to give them. Their job is to replace the temple, which everybody loved and admired and adored, with something different, the gospel and the church. You know what the job was? It was in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You ever heard of the Great Commission? This is the job he's preparing them for, the one they're going to need faith and prayer to do. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth, authority, Authority, power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, all nations, not just Jews, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, get this, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the first thing I want you to see about this kingdom power is the authority that he has to judge. See, they've seen many of these positive miracles along the way. This is the first miracle where Jesus uses his power for something negative. All other miracles produce blessing, something wonderful, something beneficial, something life-changing. But this time, this one is different. It's the same power that he used to perform all the other positive miracles that they've witnessed, the healing, the feeding, the casting out evil. It's the same authority he used just the day before to clear out the temple overturn those tables and say, get out of here. My house is a house of prayer for all nations. If it had been anyone else, the temple guard would have come in and squashed it. But they were, for some reason, powerless. They didn't even try. Well, that was a miracle in itself. They were powerless to stop him. And then he displayed that same power and that same authority by what the scripture says he closes off the temple courtyard. Nobody else can come in if they have things to sell, just people coming in to worship. And he preaches and teaches for hours. And the scripture says he captivated the crowd with this teaching about a new temple. See, Jesus is showing his power to teach boldly about accountability, the need for redemption and restoration and forgiveness and judgment and repentance. You know what? this authority to judge, the disciples, they're going to need this power. They're going to need to tap into the confidence that this power will bring because they're going to have to speak quite boldly to people who, frankly, will want to kill them. Then the other thing about the power 
I want to talk about the power to remove mountains. See, this is one of the most misapplied, misunderstood passages in all the Gospels. Faith to move mountains is how many people say it. There's even songs called that. There's books called this. What did Jesus mean? That if the disciples had a strong enough faith, they could move mountains? What is, he, what is actually he saying in the passage? If you have faith, you can move this mountain into the sea. What does he mean by that? Did he mean move a physical mountain? Was it maybe just obstacles in their life that would keep them from having success in their job? Is that what he meant by the mountains? No, neither of those are true. And it's stunning, though, that that is what people think every time they hear this phrase, faith to move this mountain. If we just have faith, we can move mountains. Notice, Jesus says, if you have faith, you can remove this mountain. He's pointing, as he says it, to the temple mount. The temple on a mountain. He's talking about this religion, this religious bastion that everybody loved. Matter of fact, there's a Greek word. I don't think I put it up yet, but I'll just, I'll just share it with you. There's a Greek word. It's called tautoi. Very simple. You know what the word means? It means this, but it's a specific this. With the case and the gender, this word, tautoi, is used 89 times in the New Testament. And every time, you know what it does? It is to pinpoint a specific object, a specific place, a specific person, a specific teaching, or a specific thing. This is the word he used. You, if you have faith, you can move this mountain right there, this one. If you have faith, this mountain will be moved. And what does he say in the second part of the verse? It will be taken up and thrown into the sea. Religion will be removed. See, moving that mountain isn't a mountain at all. It's the temple mount. It's religion the thing that is in the way of God and his people. He's teaching them that when the time comes, they can rely on this same power that I've just displayed to you over the last three years, from the very first healing to the cursing of the fig tree, and then the ultimate miracle will be my resurrection. It's the same power you'll be able to use to move this mountain. See, religion had become an obstacle. It's become an obstacle, he says, to what I have called you to do, to be the disciples who carry the Great Commission. But have faith, believe, and pray, and you will be the ones to remove it. He is promising them through faith they will build a new temple that takes the gospel to all nations. And more about what that temple looks like in a few minutes but he's saying, this is the power I'm giving you, this power of faith and prayer to move this mountain. It is a power to help these hurting people break free of the prison and the slavery that religion and the temple has put them in. Free from man-made religion that breaks hearts, breaks wills, and ends in judgment and death every time. You know what? They're also going to need that power aren't they? And then the last part of the theological section I called the power of prayer. So we have this phrase about if we believe when we pray and we like we've received it already, all our prayers will be answered. See, this was actually kind of like a pregame pep talk for these guys. Look, guys, the world is going to hate you. 
The world is going to be arrayed against you. They don't like the fact that my kingdom is going to replace theirs. But through faith and prayer, you can tap into this power I have displayed over and over, and you will become the temple for all nations. A house of prayer for all nations. It will no longer be a building. It will be my people. That's what he's teaching that day. That's what he was teaching in the temple courtyard the day before. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Then Jesus explains that when they stand in prayer for these things, this prayer to remove the temple, to become part of the Great Commission, when they stand in prayer, they must do it with a humble heart, asking for forgiveness and extending forgiveness. This is not a prayer about getting a Maserati. It's a prayer about forgiveness and power and extending forgiveness. Why? So we can become the temple of God for all nations. He's instructing them to pray with humility, selflessness, others first, not in a way that gives pious, religious, arrogant satisfaction or selfishness. And we actually see the first example of this type of prayer Jesus is teaching. We don't really see it until Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 at Pentecost when they were praying together and the Holy Spirit came down. And what does the scripture say? With what? Power. That was the first time they actually experienced the prayer he's talking about in Mark 11. And how were they praying in that upper room together before Pentecost? They were praying with confidence and humility for power to do what he had called them to do, the Great Commission. It was a daunting task to come to establish a new temple against what was established religion with this new radical message that says you don't need the priests, you are a priest. You don't need temple worship. What you need is a radical message of forgiveness and redemption through the work of Christ, through his death on the cross and the resurrection. They will be telling people, in essence, abandon what you've trusted your whole life for salvation. Abandon the temple and follow our Jesus. You know what? They're going to need this power, aren't they? So now the fun part. Let's talk about the personal section. What about us? What are we doing? Why and how do we do it? So you got the history, the theology, and now the personal. <clears throat> Learning to pray is what I've called this section. Do you guys, uh, some of you follow me on uh, Twitter and Facebook. You see the, the social media campaign each week, the sermon, Sunday sermon preview. This is what I put up this week. Can our faith move actual mountains or is Jesus being ridiculous? So does the topic of prayer, even though you may not admit it, does it intimidate you? Does it discourage you? Do you feel like, you know what, I don't do it nearly enough or I do it all the time and it doesn't work? Do you ever feel like you just don't get the results you should, especially if it can move mountains and do anything you want? See, I want to talk about abusive prayer. Let me put this verse up for you, James chapter 4, 3 through 4. You ask and you do not receive. Does that sound like any of you? For me, it certainly does. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is at enmity with God? It's against God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend uh, got cut off. We'll just leave it there. How's that? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, there's so much bad teaching about the, out there, horrible teaching about using prayer and the power of faith that is described in this passage today. Jesus was never making a promise of health and wealth 
and earthly blessing and prosperity. If you just learn how to pray and have enough faith, you'll have everything you need for a great, victorious life. That's not what this prayer message is about. There are whole books written on about having faith to move mountains with a prescription of how you get to that point and how you can become effective prayer warrior. Not that there aren't people who have this ability and, and heart to pray for others. That is true and that is good and that is selfless, humble prayer. But many times it is a misapplied concept. And we take certain personal prayers to our Father, certainly we can. Things that are burdening our hearts, things that are in our lives that we're struggling with, certainly we can bring those prayer requests to Him. God, whatever your will is, but please give me comfort, power, energy, the ability to endure this, it be your will. Even Jesus said, if it's your will, Father, take this cup of judgment that I'm about to drink from me right before He died. He prayed that. But then what did He say at the end? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But see, our natural human tendency is to take exciting passages like this and see them as something we can use for our own benefit. It's how first century Judaism corrupted the temple. They made it for them and them alone when it was supposed to be for all nations. That's how so many approach church today. Listen carefully. That's how many approach church today. We come to be blessed. We want to be comforted. We want to get something for ourselves so we can make it through another week. People praying that God will remove these earthly obstacles hindering our earthly success. When we do that, you know what we're doing? We are praying and living by sight. So we can see that there is a temptation if we're not careful to abuse the power of prayer. But then let's talk about the fact that we have this ability to live by faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things that are not seen. We learned today that prayer was never meant to be some genie in a bottle to remove obstacles to our personal earthly success. See, the measure of our faith in prayer was never intended to be how many earthly blessings we have achieved or on the converse, how many struggles we have being an indication of how weak our faith is. But prayer and faith are to be measured by how much hope we have in this world beyond. This was the lesson Jesus is teaching his disciples, guys. It's about the faith and power that they would soon need to be kingdom agents. It's the same lesson we need today. Learning to live by faith and prayer with our hope in eternity, not this world. The power that Jesus was talking about was a power to have a meaningful, eternal, life-altering connection with Heavenly Dad. And look what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, the second half of the verse. I love this verse. You ready? You don't believe me about the temple being thrown into the sea? For we are the temple of the living God. He says it right there. Isn't that awesome? As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The temple has been thrown into the sea. Guess what? It was destroyed in 70 AD. There's a mosque on that site now, and there hasn't been one since. Actually, there has us. We are the temple. See, this is the kind of faith and prayer Jesus is teaching us that can move mountains. And the kind of prayer that will always be answered. It's a faith and a prayer that we can remain fully committed to the kingdom we cannot see. 
to look past the one that so screams and yells for our attention. It's faith to be part of a movement, a worldwide movement that is greater than our own goals, greater than anything we could ever imagine. It's a movement to see God's children, whom he has called before the foundation of the world. He says, all the Father has given to me will come to me, and no one can keep them out of my hands. It's a faith to say, God, thank you. Can I please be involved in that process? It's faith to maintain a constant connection with Heavenly Dad and his people, the temple, the new one. It's faith to be released, set free from the burden of living only for today. What a horrible way to live, huh? If I can just make today the best possible day earthly, in an earthly manner of speaking, is that all your life is? See, what we like to do is obsess with the mountains that we want to move. We want to move this mountain. It's faith to pray in a way that's humble, forgiving, and always in line with how Jesus has taught us to pray. It's prayer for a relationship, a connection between God and his people. That's been his burning desire since the beginning. It's prayer for his church. It's prayer for this new temple of God comprised of people of all nations. It's prayer to remove the mountains of religion and self-righteousness and selfishness that are hindering people from experiencing the love of Heavenly Dad. Church, let me ask you a question. I'm almost done here, like another minute and a half. Are you ready to join me today in a closing prayer that looks exactly like this? Are you? You can say yes. Or, okay. Thank you very much back there. All right. I'm going to lead you in prayer. I'm going to lead you in the perfect prayer designed to completely fulfill everything that Jesus has taught us. And we're going to say it together. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we, forgive those, have, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I just crushed that, didn't I? Didn't I? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Nothing about a car. Nothing about a job. Nothing about a house. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, whatever your will is, you are great. You are better than us. You are far above us. Whatever your will is, let it be done. Give us what we need for today. Forgive us our sins. Forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or in other words, you know what he means by that? Judgment. Heavenly Dad, thank you so much for teaching us about faith and prayer. May they be things that you use to transform our hearts so we no longer live by sight, but live with power and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Guys, it's so great to have everyone here. Don't forget to sign up next week because we will have limited spots again. Uh, this is about pretty much the full capacity we can get to in here, okay? So we're not going to be able to add very many more. For those of you that are watching at home, we love you. We miss you. And we wish you were here, but we know some of you can't be yet. Thank you so much, guys. And you'll be hearing some communication from us. Have a great week.